What's up, what's up, what's up? This your host, Goku the Great One, coming to you here on Checkpoint 6. Today, we got a guest speaker today. And we're going to let him tell his story about his journey through the military. And after we let him tell his story, um, we're going to ask him a couple questions so he can um, (laughs) provide us some good insight on what it is to go through the military and get out and go deal with the VA and how long it took him to deal with the VA to get to his 100%. So without further ado, let me introduce to you, or rather let me let him introduce himself and start speaking to you guys on his journey. Here he is. Hi, Dennis Duell. I was a uh, 19 kilo in the Army uh, when, I, when I was in. Uh, which is a, a tanker. I joined in uh, 98 um, and uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky. That's where they, they teach you in basic training to how to do your basic job, you know, get in the tank, you know, be a driver, be a loader, what it would be like to be a gunner, what it would be like to be a tank commander. And you get to shoot a couple rounds in basic training. So you it really pumps you up for the future. You're like, oh, one day, man. I'm going to be this awesome tanker. So they kind of, you know, they kind of trick trick you into loving this big machine that is really a pain in the ass. It's a lot of work, to be honest. <laughs> it's 90% work, 10% fun. Okay. And uh, so we, we, we came in the Army in 98, and we ended up doing six and a half years. And, uh, and it was all, a lot of it was really good. Um, and then... Uh, we we went to Iraq. We did the Iraq thing, which is um, uh, very interesting. Uh, Fifteen months, Adams, uh, Broku was there with right, us. Right, right. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, he was out there driving around the sergeant major, sniffing every corner. This <laughs> right. dude, he, the guy he worked for was special. Yeah, he liked to. Look for things that weren't wasn't there. Maybe maybe that's the way to see it. I don't know. I don't mean it in a bad way. You know, he just trying to keep everybody safe. So yeah, he, he did what he could. He did what he could with what he had. And um, uh, so so tell us about like um, your tour. This was uh, two thousand three to two thousand four. Yep. Uh, when the war was supposedly over. That's the message we heard, and then we got there. So tell us a little bit about those 15 months and what you had to do. What was your job? The uh, the first day we rolled in was was very um, kind of a, like mind imprinting permanently because uh, it's the first thing I always think of. You know, it's, uh, it's this night, cool, desert air. Because, you know, you're in the daytime, you're sweating your butt off. So at nighttime, it, the cool air will always give like this, like, 
I don't know. You'll, you'll always remember the cool air. It's weird. So Iraq itself is just magical in this weird daytime, nighttime cycle thing. Right. So nighttime, you feel more relaxed. But in fact, that's when it was super chaotic. The first night, as you rolled in, all you could hear was AK fire and then M16 fire or M4 fire firing back as we're driving into the city all night long, shit blowing up the first night. Uh, we we got into this building and there was it was disgusting. There was like fucking boxes of human poop everywhere. It was it was crazy. And, and they, this was a uh, Baghdad. <coughs> yeah, Baghdad. 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 Okay. This and, was uh, at the uh, Iran Iraq Memorial in Baghdad. Okay. It's one of their war memorials. Okay, so um, y'all rolled in and what was like sleeping conditions? Uh, the, the if you got any sleep the well the the first the first seven months was really hard it was 20 hour ops it was really hard and the four hours that you might get to to rest sometimes would be right there at a checkpoint and you'd be sleeping in a, in a back of a 113 uh, it's it's a it's a, 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 a kind of like a, a small box looking vehicle with two tracks. But it wasn't like you were really sleeping in the most comfortable places if you got to sleep for the first seven months. The first seven months was very hard mentally, physically. Um, there was so much. There was so much to do. There were so many. There was. There was so much to do because there was. There were people you were trying to help, but then there was the mission. You know, look for this bad guy or look for that bad guy, right? But then there were people you were trying to help. You know, rebuild schools. And do all this other infrastructure protection stuff. So it was, and we were way undermanned. Like, the, you know, it's a, a small army trying to help a whole country get back on its feet. Plus, get rid of all the dudes that are trying to take advantage of the situation in a violent manner. You know, there were a lot of criminals over there, and I mean real right. criminals, not like, not like dude grabbing the pie out the window when you put the window the pie in the window to cool it off not that guy I'm talking about the guy that crawls in your window steals your kid right right so um and at this point you was a sergeant yeah just okay a, so sorry. so you didn't only have to look out for yourself you had other people under you that you had to take care of as well it's so well NCO is a mentality so right. and there's a, there's a lot of ways you could take it and but I took it as you know all the soldiers that are underneath underneath my rank are my soldiers right you know so not only you have to deal with what's going on out there but you have to deal with personal issues like stuff that would come from those soldiers wives yes yes you have to deal with a lot of uh, feedback coming up that's negative yes right so so what i'm getting at is um when these soldiers get these messages from their wives what are some of the reactions or what are some of the one what you want to say telltale craziness that comes from that like i got, what I comes got from yeah that? i got two guys i can talk about obviously i won't use their names Right. Um, one of the situations was this guy, his 
someone on his tank crew was having an affair with his wife. <laughs> and nobody knew about this shit wow. until they went to war. And then the wife wrote a Dear John letter. To, to, sit, to the guy. To the dude. Knowing that the dude that she was cheating on him with was in war with him on the same tank. So oh, it was wait. some real, oh, like, it was some real domino logic, manipulative, controlling, set of someone up for failure type psycho stuff, to, in my opinion. Okay, so let me ask this question because let me, let me see if I could draw this up. So did she have the affair before we went down range? Oh, yeah. Like planned. Like she oh. knew they were going to be out in war together. Oh. With, with real guns, with real ammo. Because when we're in the field, a lot of the times when we train, we have real guns, but we don't have real ammo. We have right. fake ammo. Right. So there ain't going to be no murders. Right, right. So now it's a real situation. With real guns. unlimited ammo. <laughs> unlimited so, ammo. Explosives. Tanks with main gun rounds. All kinds of devastating stuff <clears throat> to so, have easy access to. So she sends this letter to this guy while it's we're down It's three range. pages long because I read the whole thing. He punched me in the stomach with it and said, read this, Sergeant Duell. That was after he shaved his eyebrows and his head. That was after he shaved all the hair off his face. After he read that letter, because that's what was funny. I saw this dude come out the the damn tent. He had his eyebrows shaved and his head shaved. I was like, this dude is losing it. I thought something out in the sector happened. Right. Right? Right. Nah. I walk up. I'm like, yo, what's up? Blah, blah, blah. He punches me in the stomach hard (laughs) with that letter. And he's like, oh, dear, sir. I sat down, read that shit. I was like, I'm glad you like me, dude. Because <laughs> people are going to die. Right. So, so after that, I mean, let's, let's, let's run it forward. Uh, of course, we knew. We, yeah, I have the end history of this guy, too. He ends up getting messed up with this chick a couple of times. Right. She, he gets strung out on opioids. She fucking ends up getting him to max out an army credit card. All kinds of bad shit. And the dude ends up dead from opioids. And that's something that's plaguing us in the military. But we'll get to that in a little bit. So... His situation wraps almost all our problems up in one. That's why he's interesting talk to talk about because he got hit by all the bricks. Yeah. He got hit by the creepy wife stuff that happens to a lot of dudes. Right. Now I'm sure it happens to to the uh, the the female soldiers with the men cheating on them. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And stuff right. like this because people yeah. just don't know how to be faithful or right. whatever, you know? So and then you know, uh, and there's no, there's no damn counseling. I heard about there's no counseling for it for these for these married people. There's, I swear to God, the counseling they get is you get you get restricted to the barracks when there's a, when there's when there's a, a family dispute. The man always gets restricted to the barracks and treated like he's some kind of animal. Hmm. Hmm. And there's no like preacher or, or someone coming in to fix it. Right. So. Um. What was some of the missions 
Force Sergeant do on a daily basis? Like, well, for for a long time. And, and in your opinion, were the were those missions senseless or what were your thoughts at the time? At, at the time, the, a lot of the missions were. Uh, you had like this rotation of of uh, a couple of static guard points, which were infrastructure facilities. Because for some reason, these people, these these terrorists that live within the city, because they're the people who live in the the, the country. Sorry, not the city, the country. Like, and they were just like us, just like everybody, just trying to get along, just trying to work. And that was the craziest thing, because you know the American propaganda was like, "Oh, Iraqis are all bad people." And they're not. They're just like us, just farming, chilling, doing their shit. And there's like 20% psychos. They're trying to blow up their water facilities, their energy fields facilities, anything that gives anybody any kind of luxury. Mm, okay. So we've been protecting those most of the time. <clears throat> but our our daily side job was hunt for bombs. It was Operation Sherman. Okay. This went on for seven or eight months or something. You go down the road... You literally pull to the edge, go five miles an hour, and look for bombs in a, in a vehicle that could not withstand a bomb blast. Hmm. So, the roads, <laughs> I remember it well because, you know, my job. And I always try to tell people or explain to people how the roads were. It was, let's say, a regular road, but on the side of it, it's these seven-foot berms. Filled with trash. So you couldn't make out anything on the side of the road for real. Nah, when 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 I was when I was in charge of a tank mission, which wasn't very often, it's true. Because <laughs> I, I did shit a little bit differently. I was very safe about stuff. Right, right. And we, we we would go on that road that went from Bandit Island to the Baghdad Memorial, where Brigade was, where they right. would all, the XO and all them cats would always go back and forth. You guys would go three right. times, four right. times a day to pick up <laughs> stuff. Right, escorts, everything. I would drive our tank tracks on those piles of trash. Mm. Okay. Because the tank can withstand a hit from a triple 155. Triple 155 is a standard IED bomb they were using back then. When we first got there, they would take three 155-millimeter artillery rounds, lay them next to each other, daisy chain them, and blow them up. Mm. On a tank track, if you if you get hit on the track with them, it's just going to blow your track up, maybe knock some dudes out on the inside, you know. But it's a lot better than those Humvees we were using because those, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, my They look like spaghetti. It was a uh, paper-thin... Fiberglass, no yeah, it was a fiberglass Humvee with no yeah. doors. No doors. So yeah. those Humvees, when they got hit by those IEDs, no people don't survive. Oh, let's explain your tactical gear. What did you What did you have when we first got to Iraq? For the first three months, we were using the um, the um, it's it's a, a fragmentary vest. So it's a vest that you use in training that's from the end of the Vietnam era that can only stop fragmentation. And it says it can stop 9mm ball rounds, but I don't know about that. 
I've never been shot with it myself, but for three months we had those. And then um, our, our unit had those. Now, other units had the upgraded ceramic vest, right. which is really, uh, that is a technical bulletproof vest. Right. I acquired one of the plates and took it to the range in Iraq and shot it with an AK to see what my guys were wearing okay because i didn't believe anything at the time after because we had a soldier who was killed with that other vest on Mm. and the it didn't stop any bullet right so those vests that we were wearing for three months didn't do nothing so you, you just mentioned it was a a soldier that got killed that had that vest on you want to go into that or yeah, uh, it it was uh, it was fratricide, so that means that it was um, friendly forces that killed him. We were not we were in a Humvee. It was a very close proximity. Uh, I was not in the Humvee. I was I was on top of a building at the time, pulling static guard on a water facility. This Humvee had uh, four people in it, five people in it. Uh, five, correction, five people in it. Had one person in the gunner seat up top. Right. And um, one person got nervous and had their weapon to the inside of the, the Humvee, not the way they should be. It's a mechanic that happens probably from being nervous and scared. Okay. And people in the Humvee that maybe could have told that person to turn the weapon outside of the Humvee weren't paying attention because they were nervous and scared so it's it's a complex situation it was late at night and the the round went off shot the kid uh in the in the rear passenger seat in the back right shoulder blade the round bounced off his shoulder blade went through his heart and leg and his stomach and he died like five minutes later and that that really caused a lot of complications in our unit at the time uh you know, because we didn't have any fatalities till then. Right. And the way it went down afterwards, not by the guy who shot him or anybody in the vehicle, but by higher ranked people. It was never controlled right. And the truth wasn't exposed for years. Hmm. I couldn't tell anybody about it, about that story for seven years. So this is something that you held even through the war, after the war, for seven years. They said it was enemy sniper fire. Hmm. They lied to his family. I know because I talked to his father about it seven years later. Because I couldn't hold it in no more. It was destroying me. I'm not one to hold those kind of shits. Right. That's for like... Special forces, top secret dudes with that mentality. I'm just a soldier. Right. And, I mean, was he one of your soldiers or... Yeah, he was my, he was my tank soldier, yeah. So, that's yep. something no, no, nobody would want to hold as one of their, one of their troops. Yeah, and there was no counseling either. There was so, no, uh... Like preacher or anything like that. Because that's usually just the counselor in the army as a preacher, you know. They usually so, send some guy like that. So let me ask you this question. With that 
not only being the first person we lost, but it being one of your people. And the way it went down. At the time, it was hard for me to understand that. Now it's different, but... So, so at that time, how did you deal with that and having to deal with the mission I became, at the same time? I became more violent. More... Just super violent. Super violent with everything. You know? And, of course, you didn't have easy missions. Your missions wasn't to say, hey, just... Stand here and watch this building, or hey. And we had some of those missions. It's true, but right. a lot of them was re- the reactive missions where somebody does something negative to start with, and right. we're going there to hunt them. Right. We're we're the QRF. We're the quick reaction force. We roll out to engage. Okay. To find trouble. Okay. Okay. And many times you did. Every day. Okay. Several times a day. Almost every night, guaranteed, with that mortar, dude. Even if it wasn't your admission. That dude's mortars would land in your area, you'd want to go find them. Right. So, because you're just trying to sleep. This guy's trying to kill you in your sleep. And and let's draw a a picture for everybody. When you you go to apprehend these guys, most of these guys have the mindset of, I'm not going alive. No, they don't want... They don't want you alive. That's why they started trying to kill you in the first place. <laughs> I mean, now, now you have to understand that it, they're they're living off propaganda too, right? Right. And at the time, I was living off propaganda, right? You know, looking back at it, it was like two dudes being told two different sides of the same story, right? You know, like, he was mad at me because I was an American. Okay. But he was fed that. I was mad at him because he was an Iraqi. I was fed that. That's right. why my book, on the book thing, when I when you look up my book, it says it was 2003 and the propaganda machine was in full swing. Mm. So, so wait, you wrote a book after you got out. Yeah, just just a couple of years ago, I I finished getting oh, well, it. You published it. Pu- I finished publishing it. Yeah, I mean, I wrote it when I was in Iraq after the missions okay. and stuff. So because they were some of the missions were real hot, and I wanted people to like. Because the movies can show you that stuff real good nowadays, right? But they right. never show you what happens to the dude afterwards, because the dude's always walking away with some chick in his arms, and it's all like hey, everything's good. Mm. So you was writing this book script for script. Every day as a mission happened, or after the mission, you'd come write your thoughts and everything like that. So, yeah, so this back. book is basically your daily missions and your daily thoughts. So it's a narrative. Some of the the hotter stuff. I didn't right. like the because to me, like there was a lot of whack stuff that happened on the bridge. True, but like nothing was super violent. It was just like dealing with crazy people and their cars and. Just more like intense day-to-day problems, okay. you know, like someone, okay. their tire blows out as they're crossing the bridge and it's a one-lane bridge. I'm not going to write that. Okay. I mean, yeah, that was a nightmare because now we had to push cars and this dude's chickens fell out. Now we got chickens all over the fucking bridge. <laughs> right. You know, so I mean, but, <laughs> I mean, that's a good to watch in a movie. Right. It adds depth to a movie. Right. It adds depth to a book. It's true. But that's not what I was trying to put in my book. I was okay. trying to just show people... 
the, the darkness, the violence, and the truth. Like, this is the stuff that your kid goes and does at 17 years old. Okay. So, so for everybody who's listening, tell them the name of the book, where you can find it. It's called um, I in Iraq, E-Y-E um, in Iraq. And you can get it on any um, ebook platform. So Amazon Kindle, right. any of those, any of the ebook platforms. Okay, okay, cool. That's that's cool. And I'll keep everybody updated because I'm gonna read it myself. I got a copy not too long ago because my wife bought me a copy. So I'll print it out and I'm gonna read it. And I'm gonna come back and share thoughts on it. So now. 15 months, straight missions, a lot of kill missions, a lot of crazy things went down. You came home. Was the war over or did it just begin? Yeah, that was the tricky part, right? Because you thought everything was good. Right. Like, oh man, I'm just going to go home, get a job. Right. Get back in the move, you know, right. grind. No big deal. Right. And that's what I started to do. You know, I got a job doing construction in, in North Carolina. Okay. I was getting paid good money. It was a good boss. Okay. Good crew, so I I enjoyed it, you know. Right. My, and I worked on the beach. Right. So who doesn't like that, right? right. Every day. Hey, your job was, is to go to the beach happiness. every day. Yeah. yeah. I like looking at the water. Right. Uh, but well, I was like two years into that and then uh, I end up I didn't know I was missing for two weeks but my brother I end up my brother ends up waking me up in a pile of booze bottles I don't I don't drink beer really hmm. so and he ended up taking me to the VA and that started my whole process of this that I really didn't even know anything about you know right. how, what the VA is what they provide. I didn't even know these services were really there. So, so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. See, you, you, you're telling me <laughs> you go in the military, an experienced and established tanker, decorated. I mean, shoot, you are one of the best in your class, in your field. Yeah. Right? Yes, sir. So now, with that, you're telling me when you got out, or during the process of you getting out, nobody actually showed you that, hey, this is the VA. You go to them. You get a payment or anything like that when you get out. Any type of service. No, it was it a was dude at a typewriter putting my shit on my DD-214, handing it to me, saying you're free. Wow. I mean, it was two weeks of getting out of the military that I did in three days. Okay. Well, you know, I don't know if that was because the army was understaffed, everybody was at war, they minimized the process because we were at war. I don't know. I don't know the details of any of that. Right. But I know it was the, the cold, this is your last chance to re-enlist, dude. Right. When this last letter hits the end of this blue piece of paper, you're O-U-T. Right. And it was, I, I didn't think I had anything except for them trying to get me back in. Because they would call once in a while and be like, hey, do you want to join back up? And I'd be like, nah, I'm not going back to Iraq. I'm good. Right. So I didn't know anything. Right. 
So when he took me, I thought it was on his dime. Okay. So my brother. This was the time after your brother finds you passed out on some booze bottles. Yeah, a couple of weeks I was missing from work. And he takes you to the VA. Yep. And this starts your journey on the pills. Yeah, I, I got on uh I got on like six or seven prescriptions in those first couple of weeks when I was down south. I think it was like Greensboro, South Carolina, the hospital was or something like this. It was mm. a big VA hospital, but it looked old. It was right. big, but it was old, you know. Right. So I was in there in the psych ward for a while. I, I didn't even know really what to do. I was just laying in this gurney. I wasn't strapped in or nothing, but they had me covered up in blankets for like days, just like chilling, observing what they were doing, observing me, you know, I didn't know what was really going on. And then right. they'd ask a lot of questions. I'd tell them how I felt about stuff. And then there would be more pills and more pills. And then when I got to the Syracuse VA, I'll never forget the dude's name, but I don't want to say it. Right. Just call him Dr. R. Right. <laughs> Dr. R. <laughs> Dr. R. I walked out of his, his office with nine more prescriptions. So when I went down to the, um, the pharmacy place I walked out with a brown grocery bag full of meds and I got to the end of the hallway where the spinny door is getting out of the VA building and I'm standing there this shit gets me upset take the time I was thinking to myself how, how did I get so fucked up that they gotta give me all this shit to control whatever I am. And when I look back now where I'm standing from, to me, that was them starting to undermine me. To, to, to demasculine me. To, to take away my masculinity. To take away my, my good deeds that I've done in Iraq. Because the deeds that we did were good deeds. Sure, some of those deeds were... Murder, it's true. But those dudes that we murdered were raping your six-year-old daughter. Right. So, I'll deal with that when I get to heaven. Right. right. But to me, where I live, where I stand, I don't want those dudes creeping around at nighttime. And we caught them in the axe. So it wasn't like... Every time we terminated somebody in Iraq, they were in the act of doing some terrible ass shit. It wasn't like they were thinking about it. It wasn't like we were regular police trying to investigate shit. We had to catch somebody doing something, literally, to do something. Yeah. That's how we, we were a reactive force. Right. Yeah, we were driving around. And, and it was crazy because you would always think to yourself, why would somebody do something crazy right in front of us? But that's how crazy the crazy was over there. They didn't care who you were. They would just do their crazy right in front of you. Right. And then your job was to stop that crazy. So, pop, pop, bye. Right. So, you're out now and <laughs> you start a VA process. Um, yeah, I ended up on 17 prescriptions. 17. Nah, seven of them were on maximum dose for human, possible. One of them being Depakote at 2,400 milligrams, which is a uh, like anti-psychotic medication. 
So, because my my thought process when they when they give you these meds, um, yeah, they gave it a trial, but when they give this trial, this trial is for that one medication to one person. It's not seventeen different medications put in a bottle or blended up in a cocktail, as they like to call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And shot to one person. I mean, it's like three times a day. Yeah, three, four times a day. So now, when you took those seventeen medications. What 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 possibly could you do after you took those seventeen pills? Because I I don't I've I was on like seven medications and I could barely move after taking two or three of them. Well, looking looking back, uh, they were paying my ex wife twelve hundred dollars a month to to babysit me, put my pills together for me because I couldn't remember to do it. Um. When when our baby we had a child together, in okay. the first couple of years, I would have to call her home a couple of times a week from work, cause I couldn't handle anything. I was a, a mess, you know. I was I could I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't do shit. Um, I was like two hundred and seventy pounds. Uh, man, I was a, I, I wasn't doing anything. I was just trying to survive. I think. Just mm. trying to survive, mm. you know. But those pills just—I kept going more into more into the psych ward every time I go to Orange County. When I lived in New Jersey, I go up to the up, right up by New York City, Orange County, in New Jersey. Right. And I go to the psych ward up there for three, four weeks, get readjusted, new pills, keep going in, keep going in, more pills, more pills, readjust them, change the pills. They always try to get you on. They always try to get me on the the real dope though. Every right. time I go up there, they try to get me on the real dope, the, not the stuff that I was on. Because, I mean, yeah, those were pills, it's true, but they were trying to get me on fentanyl and methadone and all this other shit for my pain, you know. Right. And I ended up on so many pills. One reason was because I wouldn't do them opioids and I would try everything else that, that was under the sun, mm. you know, because, the, cause, dude, everybody that was on the dope was dying. Right. And it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. Right. I tried opioids for six months. I ended up lying to my wife. I started to lie. I did one lie to her to get a couple more pills. I went to take them pills. I threw them in the toilet, called her back crying. Ex-wife, sorry. Called her back crying. And I was like, I lied to you for these pills. I'm a piece of shit. We got to go to the hospital and get rid of these pills. But they were making me lie. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that's why when I think about the opioids, man, they're fucking dangerous. So so, so these pills was altering or <laughs> changing your psyche the way you the no, way you yeah, thought. Because I don't I don't lie. I'm not right. I'm not doing that shit. That's why I literally confessed my sins to her immediately because that affected me. I, I noticed no. My grandma brought me up better than that. Mm. Okay. Okay, let me see where the time is at. Okay. Cool, thirty five. What's your man? <coughs> um, dude, that's quite a journey. And but that's every soldier. That's every soldier. That's not just me. That's the thing. All these special stories. Every single soldier has a special story that's 
if not greater impact than mine, because I've heard stuff from dudes that it blows mine out of the water. Shit that makes me spin. I've seen some shit. You've seen some stuff, you've done some stuff, and they just pumped you with those 17 prescriptions, and you was on that for how long? Not nine years. Nine years. Nine years. I was doped up bad for nine years. If it wasn't for two other soldiers, I would have never got off of it. Two other bandits. Okay. Yeah. Man. So you met up with two other bandits and they told you enough is enough with the <coughs> with the opioids. Yeah, because I was I they said I was looking like I was gonna die. Man. So so what became your um what 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 became your healing process? What what became your to get you off of the pills and now you're looking healthy, you're doing good. These two guys is what started this process. They introduced me to to a, an alternate medication that I was aware of, but that I wasn't using to its full potential. Cannabis. Mm. Cannabis. Because I was just smoking like joints. Right. Right. And that's that's like that's that's like ultra minimal level of medicine. Okay. Because <clears throat> you get less than three percent of the total medicine accessible in a joint. So now you're telling me that all these painful medications that they gave and they had you on when you got something as simple as cannabis or what we look at as simple as cannabis because people look at cannabis as something simple. Yeah. And because of the stigma that it has that was put on it, they don't know some of the true properties or the healing processes that cannabis possesses. And because you are a man that has went down the road of the opioids, so you know that side, and then you got into cannabis. Now, when you got into cannabis, you not only got into smoking it, but you went and educated yourself so you know what you're putting in your body so you can live a healthier lifestyle. Yeah, because I am I got to know. That's me. Right. I got to know how something works. Right. How the light switch works. I got to take the cover off, look inside. Oh, there's some prongs that go in there. These have electricity that go to it. That's how okay. I am with everything. I got to okay. see what's happening. And that's, and that's good because if that didn't happen, then you wouldn't have started on the road you really started on. So now... What we want to tell everybody is how that journey has been after the nine years and you started on your cannabis journey. Explain that journey. The, uh, 
the, the, the first six months of coming back from California, because I went to California for, I call it a therapy upgrade. <laughs> therapy Good upgrade. Name, right? Therapy upgrade, because I went from 17 pills to one plant. That's an upgrade. Yes. Right? It's true. There, the reasons behind it, I don't know why. Maybe it's because I was on so many pills. Maybe it's because I'm so psycho. I couldn't tell you. Combination of the both, we'll say to make it fair for everybody. So everybody gets a little bit of the blame. The VA and me. But I spent $1,000 a week to provide myself with medication in California to, to effectively match what was happening to me with pharmaceuticals. Okay. And that was on a very cheap market. Okay. But that's because, A, I was experimenting. Right. So I was trying a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And B, I was trying to find if there was a maximum dose. Right. Right? Okay. Like, where, where is the maximum dose? And so five years later, I still haven't found maximum dose. Right? <laughs> right. But I have found my dose, finally. <laughs> right. I found my dose. Um, but the first six months was really hard because you're withdrawing off all these other fucking meds. So now, so now, not to cut you, but you just said... uh Five years in, and you have not found a maximum dose, right? Right. So, what you're telling me is, on those 17 prescriptions, you would be incoherent to where you couldn't do anything for yourself. You couldn't function. Nope. Couldn't cook. Couldn't cook. So now... Someone hold my hand in the shower so I wouldn't fall. That's at 30 years old, being a physically strong man. Right. That's how doped up I was. Like, right. So now, kinda, so kinda now, babysitting me. So now I'm trying to see. So you're telling me you go into a, a cannabis smoke session, and you still haven't had your maximum yet to where you're incoherent and you can't help yourself. No, and I have reached five thousand milligram edibles. I know that sounds insane, but. I don't want no one tricked again. 5,000 milligrams of any type of pill, and you're dead. dead. <laughs> you understand? Yeah. So, this is what I'm trying to get people to understand. Yes. I know it was are. very, maybe it was very scientifically risky of me to invent, to take that adventure on. Right. Of going down to 5,000 milligram road. Right. Okay, at a single dose. Right. But the idea was to show the world. And I did it live on Facebook and went on hours later and went on the next day. Right. Hello. And you're still here. Yeah. Now, <laughs> when I was on that 5,000 milligram edible, I was basically, there was, there was not much of being able to do anything. Right, right. All right. Right. But I was, I was, I was, I was very, very happy with my life. Okay. Okay. And it wasn't in such a manner that I tried to chase that. Mm. Like, I don't go looking for a 5,000 milligram edible, like, every day. There's no way. You, right. You're not going to get nothing done. Right. But that feeling was so lasting that just the memory of it, that I experienced it, it's more of an experience, not, a, not something you'd want to do every day. So, so let me ask you now. 5,000 milligram edible and your max dosage uh, prescriptions, which day 
to you. Like if you put them side oh, by yeah, side. Oh yeah, no, I would do the five thousand milligram edible every day. If I had to choose one of those every day with a gun behind it, you got to choose one of these two. It'd be the five thousand mil. I would, I would, I would venture into a ten thousand milligram edible <laughs> if we had to. Let's push it. Right. Let's see how far right. it goes. Because you know. Because um, that was that was bliss. That was like that was like light emanating from me. Like I was part of something ma- magical. Right. You know, I don't. It's some fruity ass shit, maybe. But, <laughs> but cool. those those pills, man, was like lethargic, glued into the couch. I could like my brain was glued to the couch, like like those drug commercials from the eighties where the girl was melted in the couch and shit. Right. And she was like, "I just smoked weed." No, bitch, you just took them fucking pills. <laughs> Because, and I don't mean that in a negative way right, towards women. Right. Because I'll call dudes the same thing. Right. Because, you know, um, no judgment here. I know. No judgment just here. Some of my words but, are hard from the 80s. Yeah. And, and we know pe- some people, they're, they're sensitive now. No, I don't know. And I just try to respect everybody. Right. You know, it's not you know, about being sensitive. I don't know what happened to that person. So I'm not trying to use a word that maybe that was used in them in a traumatic way right. that they're sensitive to. So it's to. not in a der- derogatory way. Right. But it's just like... I use a lot of comical okay. expression. Instead of like, like, bitch, you like, no, motherfucker, you just, same shit. You see what I'm saying? Right, so, just comical expression. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand it. So, there was no, like, comparison, like you said, the milligrams or the edibles is way better than nah, the pill yeah. filling nah, all day. Never go back. Yeah, so... I would rather struggle trying to find my meds on the streets from nefarious characters. Right. And risk some weird shit happening like some dude trying to touch me in a sexual way that I don't want. Rather than go to the VA to that safe box store and get them pills. Right. So now, um, you started the mission with the cannabis. You, You got on the cannabis. You started learning about it. And what is what are some of the the interesting facts that you found that Can- cannabis can help with. Cannabis is a very interesting plant uh, because it has some interesting compounds. And some of the compounds are, they, they call them cannabinoids. Uh, they're, they're a compound. Uh, in plants, they're phytocannabinoids. So in humans, we create them endogenously. So our body creates them. So we create THC and all these other compounds that hmm. you know CBD and stuff. Okay. But they're called endogenous compounds because our body creates them, and we have receptors to take in the phytocannabinoids, just like we do with every other mineral: Vit- vitamin D, vitamin A, okay. iron, zinc. So it's, it's the same process. Okay. So these are phyto minerals. We take them in. Now, the cannabis plant has approximately 350 cannabinoids and approximately 150 terpenes, terpenoids, and flavonoids. So, mm. now, to, to break it down, uh, we just will separate them to make it easier. So, there's 350, we'll say, 350 cannabinoids. Right. Now, imagine looking at a 350-band equalizer... And okay. each band has four settings because each cannabinoid can have four different states it can be in. Mm-hmm. And each state that those cannabinoids are in have their own medicinal properties. Mm. So when you eat the plant, 
or intake it via skin because your skin is your second stomach, right. um, you gain access to all 350 cannabinoids. When you smoke it or vape it, you destroy and degrade some of those cannabinoids in the burning process. And, and with like a joint, you're only going to get mostly THC. So you're going to lose 349 compounds mm. approximately. Mm. So smoking joints is not really full medicine. It's very minimal. You know okay. what I'm saying? So that's what I was putting in my body was very minimal medicine. Okay. So when I learned to eat it and learned that there are all these other compounds that need to be taken in in conjunction... Because the interesting thing is, each one of those 350 compounds has their own medicinal property. But when you put them all together, synergy happens. Hmm. And there are other medicinal properties that magically appear. I know magically sounds crazy, but that's, that's what they call that word synergy. Right, right. So that's, it's magic. Other right. properties appear that normally are not there. So when you add the terpenes and the terpenoids... Because each terpene has their own medicinal property also. Now you have other medicinal properties that start to form. So okay. you want to consume this plant <laughs> via the stomach or skin daily so you can get in those phytominerals that you need for your body to run optimal because the endocannabinoid system the system in your body that operates all these minerals is a precursor to the nervous system. Hmm. So the nervous system is reliant upon it. Okay. And they have always said the nervous system is the first system that is produced when a baby is being built. Right. And that is right. not true. Huh. It, is, it is the endocannabinoid system that is being produced first because it is within every system. Every system has endocannabinoid receptors. Your liver, your bones, your brain, your skin tissue, everything. Okay. So cannabis controls and regulates information to every system there is. Wow. Wow. Hey, man. That is... That is awesome, and and it's it's good to hear, and not only hear and see someone who has been down the opioid road with the VA, and now you're doing your own thing with cannabis because you know that VA route is just a short route to the pine box. You see what I'm saying? Because um Agree. It's just it's just what they're pumping into us. And nobody's really looking at a better way to help the veteran. So I wanna say closing thoughts. What is your thought process on how they treated you when you came home? As a veteran, and what you think can be done better at the VA system for veterans? I don't want to be mad at these guys because I think they were doing the best they could with their methodology of approaching the problem. 
Maybe that's the problem, their methodology. But they did try very good at whatever they were trying to do because I ended up on a lot of medicine and I couldn't do shit. And if that was their goal, they achieved it. I feel that in the last couple of years, at least five, that I've seen the VA moving towards more homeopathic methods of repair. So they're doing stuff like um, acupuncture, um, more physical therapy stuff. They're letting vets go to chiropractic visits and stuff like this. But in turn... The access is very minimal. So, for example, say if you want to go to a chiropractor, you might have to travel an hour and a half to go get adjusted. Hmm. And then ride back in your car an hour and a half. So, wait a minute. It don't make no sense. It just don't make no sense. Yeah, that, 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 that's you know counterproductive. Right, yeah. So, I mean, they're, in some aspects, they're trying, but it's not like they're really trying. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right, right. Like, yeah, we've got the program, but it's five hours away. Yeah. When bullshit. they know you were blown up and you got 13 discs wrecked. And that car ride you've been crying about for the last 15 years. So, wait, we didn't even talk about that. What are, what are, what are some of your... What did they say your injuries were? Um... So I have some some damage in my right leg, tendon damage from my foot to my hip, from a, a fence incident. <laughs> that that's a whack story, but I had to jump off a fence. I thought there was sand on the other side. There was not sand. It was an inch of sand and a concrete pad. So my right leg tendon is all all my tendons in my right leg are messed up. Shot. I okay. have thirteen discs from my tailbone. All the discs in a row from my tailbone up, 13 up when I first came home that were torn, ripped, bulging, leaking. They had some declaration of being all jacked up. Jesus. Um, I had a lot of soft tissue damage from explosions that I was in, you know, in my joints. But but I was, I know it sounds terrible, but I never had metal go through my body. I never had nothing ripped through my flesh. So I got extremely lucky in my explosions. It's true. But there are guys who get it a lot worse because they had metal actually ripped through their flesh. Right. You know, so those dudes, their pain levels, I can't even imagine. Right. But that's what keeps me going is because I think, wow, I was blessed. Like all the explosions. Right. I'm like one of the only dudes I know who didn't catch metal. Hmm. So, I mean, I know it hurts and it sucks. But it's your mentality about the pain really that is your driver, you know. Right, right. Um, but my physical, my physical problems weren't the, the biggest problem. You know, it was my head that was messing me up. I, I didn't get, no one talked to me about the, the, just the way the universe works, basically. So, I don't think nobody can coach you on the first person you killed or the second person you killed, how many people you killed, you know, but... As far as like a talking to after those incidents, you didn't receive none of that either. So therefore, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't no therapy after any of your missions. No, it I, was just I, go back to mission. Just 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 the first time we engaged somebody, I had one officer ask me like standard operating procedures afterwards. You know, right. like like how did you feel? What the the checklist questions? You right. know. But how, how how I did it, the right. how I physically went through the process of terminating the target, right? Asking those questions, and then basically at the end, how do you feel about it? And I was like, I don't feel anything about it, right? And they were like, that's good. 
Okay. You know, because maybe that's where they want people. So then after that, it was just like this was a normal thing. Yeah, there was no more after that. No, right. not not another engagement. Was there any more questions ever? Not a single question, not another investigation, <laughs> never, nothing ever. So now this is this is the this not is the crazy even when part. our dudes got killed. Not right. even when our dudes got killed, no one came to say to us How do you feel about your buddy's face being chopped off? They didn't even ask you no, you know what I'm saying? Nothing. No no either way, nothing. It was go right back uh, right back to work, right go back, get, regular go mission. Go get the dudes who did it. Right. So man. <laughs> This is this is this is wild. You you'd never think or you you won't believe that they would do this to us. Well, you know, once you start talking about emotions, at first it can be counterproductive to testosterone and ego because a man does doubt an individual correction, an individual does doubt themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Woman has the man, the root word man in it too. So I'm, right. I'm talking about all of us. Right. I just worked with all men in my unit, so I'm just I'm, right. that's habitual. Because we were all male unit. Yeah. So I, therefore, it's, you it's know, just habitual. I'm not trying yeah. to be rude. So um, that's some of the things I try to explain too. Like, there's a difference in the military, uh, because when you go to these all male units, you're forced to be hard. Well, it's, you got to be tough because it's I mean, it's it's instilled in you. Well, we're we're animals, right? exactly. You know, and and this is a this is a situation where a combat arms unit is a situation. It's gonna be a situation where it's someone has to die, the the other guy or you. So, to create the best unit, you have to have a unit that pushes itself, right? An ego. Versus ego versus testosterone versus testosterone pushes itself. Mm. Just like five male wolves in a pack. They're going to figure out who's the alpha quick. Right. Because someone has to get in the back. Right. <laughs> That's just how it is. So now, my next question would be here. What's a personal goal for you to see in the future for veterans? This future I'm about to tell you about isn't just for veterans. It's for everybody. Because we're humans. All of us. And the thing about us is we all have an endocannabinoid system and we all have mental health issues. Right. And if we understand... That we could be a stronger human physically through science explanation that utilizing cannabis makes us a stronger human physically, mentally, everything about us. Hmm. We can utilize this with therapy to become better so that we're not struggling the way that we the way I was this is why I show my life all over the book everything so that people can see that you can do this without 17 pills if you adjust your diet to your special needs the way your body absorbs information because that's what food is it's just information right so 
and you specialize the way your body works, you can optimize who you are as a being. Because if you think about us like a car, you're not going to go buy a Lamborghini and put Pennzoil 10W30 in it. Right. <laughs> God, nobody's doing that. Listen, you would you would not ever get your Lamborghini Lamborghini cool card would get pulled if somebody heard that shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> You don't go buy a Lamborghini and can't afford the maintenance and, and put and in like, a, that, right? like your Walmart radio in right. that bitch. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, you know what I'm talking about? You don't do these things. Right. Shit. You don't, yeah. you don't, and that's what you got to think about your body like is your body is the Lamborghini that gets you around. Right. So right. you want to put the best shit high in quality there. stuff in this machine. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I mean, look, all you got to do is go sit. At a fast food restaurant, you ain't got to buy nothing. Sit there for four hours. From 10 to 2. You look at the body types that go through there. Those ain't Lamborghinis. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that because what they're putting in their body from that particular box store does that to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you sit and watch what the other animals eat, that's what you're going to look like. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Now, why that is, is because the quality of food that they're making is very low. And it's not made for our body to run in optimal mode. And as you age, shit changes all the time. As you age, your hormones, everything. So, you might not be able to eat what you ate at 20 at 40. And for me, that's true. I have somehow become lactose intolerant. When I was 20, it wasn't. When I came home from the war... It was. And I put on like 110 pounds because I kept drinking milk. And my body said I couldn't. But I didn't. I, I just kept doing it. Wow, she wasn't listening. I wasn't listening. I wasn't looking in the mirror and saying, why is my body shaping? Until some dude said to me, what's up, lunchbox? The first time this dude met me, the first thing out of his mouth was, what's up, lunchbox? What's up, fat fuck? That's from one man to another. So it hit me. Ego-wise, because that's what catches men is ego stuff, right? right? And I was like, why do I look like this? And that started it. And then my ex-wife was like, you're allergic to milk. I've been trying to tell you this for years. Hmm. And so I did this little online food thing. It's called the Whole30.com. whole dot com. It's free. Okay. It tells you everything that I could tell you, but way better. <laughs> right. Because it's like put together in a huge, awesome format. Okay. And after 30 days, it takes all these food allergy groups out of your body and reintroduces them. And for me, I we were checking for dairy specifically. Right. So I took a sip of milk and I projectile vomited right on the table, right across. One sip. I was done. I couldn't believe she was right, first of all. <laughs> but I couldn't believe it was happening to me. I was right. changing. I couldn't believe this. Right, right, right. But since I had the data presented before me in such a manner that I could not ignore it. Right. That made me change. Nice. So now I drink almond or coconut milk. Mostly coconut milk because okay. coconut milk is sustainable. So, I mean, in the end, you know, the treatment plan for veterans you believe would be better and you have better results we won't have this uh 22 well, a day stigma you think about that stigma from stress right 
So if we take away all stressors, and eating bad food right. creates internal stress. Mm. Putting bad medicine inside you creates internal stress. Internal, deep. Right, right. You get rid of these internal stressors and replace them with things that bring healing and therapy. It's like it's like changing the frequency from something that's loud and not understandable to something that's harmonious, if that makes any sense. Right, right, right. right. So it works in unison more the way it's okay. supposed to. Okay, okay. Well, man, um, I like that. I like the fact that you shared your insight. You shared what it was to be a soldier and go through that 2003-2004 war mode. And then you also shared the fact of coming home and the treatment you got from the VA. Shoot. Treatment, treatment you got from the world. So, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing your insight. I wish this can help other veterans come forward and tell their story because, like you said, everybody got a story to tell and they should tell it. That way we can help other guys and girls come forward and that starts the healing process. We can figure out how to heal you without the pills, the opioids, the feeling sad, the depression, the anxiety, the suicide, the hard drug addictions. And learn management techniques. Yes. All of this is what we want. And this is the, this is the future what we're trying to project. And you got to think, your kids are going to go to the military. Your kids' kids are going to go to the military. Yes, that's the whole point about this future is that it's sustainable for multiple generations for eternity. Right. In my opinion, because it's it's a substance that's from a planet that technically the plant was alive before humans. Right. So it's we're it's sustainable for us. Exactly. So again, this is what we're trying to provide. We're trying to provide a healthier way. We're looking for